The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Great to worship with you this morning. Great to see you. Glad that you're here. We're studying through the Sermon on the Mount together. The Sermon on the Mount is found primarily in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're coming to the conclusion of it, and I want to ask you to join me in Matthew chapter 7. Every uh, pastor, every preacher who's ever even preached one sermon has probably experienced uh, something about uh, what I'm about to share with you. You... you uh, you preach the sermon or you share the sermon and shaking hands with folks at some point in time. And inevitably, somebody says, Pastor, that was such a good sermon. I wish that my, and then they fill in the blank. My husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, my brother, my sister, my best friend. I wish that so-and-so had been here to hear that sermon. And uh, every pastor has experienced that moment where someone says that, and sometimes because you know your congregation and you know the person that you just shook hands with, when they leave, you think, I wish you had heard that sermon. The great propensity of mankind is to deflect, and we have the ability to hear some of the greatest of God's truth and miss what God has for us because the whole time that we sit and listen, we think, oh, this would be so good for so-and-so. And imagine if you had been there that day when Jesus, the master preacher teacher, is sharing the revelation of God's word. Imagine if after the sermon was over, you had lined up to see Jesus to tell him, Oh, I just wish my husband had been here to hear that. And so Jesus preempts that. When we come to Matthew chapter 7, he's given us a section on application where he wants you to know that this sermon is for you. Certainly, it's for everyone on the planet, but he wants you to know it's for you. And so he's going to talk about a very specific application that each of us can make for ourselves. It begins in verse 1, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or, or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will, will see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the first application for us this morning is you and the relationship that you have with yourself. You have a relationship with yourself. You have a responsibility for you. The Bible says most of us are like the man who looks in a mirror and walks away and immediately forget what he looks like. We are to consider ourselves. We are to take 
responsibility for ourselves. We have to admit that we live in a day and an age in a culture when nobody takes responsibility for themselves. We, all of our problems are always somebody else's fault. We, we need the government to take care of us. We need entitlements. We don't take care of ourselves. We don't look to ourselves for that which God wants to happen in our own eyes. And here Jesus uses some humor in his sermon. And he, and he talks about this. And people who have never even read the Bible kind of know this passage. That it talks about you can't take the speck out of your brother's eye if you, if you have a log in your own eye. Now, those of you who do not wear contact lenses, you may have never experienced this. Maybe you've had something in your eye. But for those of us who are contact lens wearers, and yes, I wear contact lenses to see you far and glasses to see close. There's only one more stage for me, and it's called blindness. Um, but, uh, but you can, uh, for contact lens wear, you can think that your eye's fine. There's, there's always particles. There's always stuff in your eye. And you think you're fine. And then you put that contact lens in there, and that traps that speck against the eyeball. And then you're like, oh, I, and you got to get it out right away. And you got to rinse the eye out because you didn't realize you had stuff in your eye until that contact lens trapped it right there against your eye. And it became really painful. And so Jesus is using this kind of imagery. Yeah, people have stuff in their eyes. They have a speck. Speck is a, it's a tiny little something in your eye, but it's just not that serious compared to a log. Now, Jesus could have said something like a toothpick, right? He could have said a toothpick in your eye because a toothpick is still pretty big. It would still be really evident. You would never say to anybody, hey, you, you may not know this, but you got a toothpick in your eye. If you had a toothpick in your eye, you would know. But Jesus doesn't even say a toothpick. He doesn't even say the limb of a log. He, he, this is where he's just, like I said, it's just a little humorous, but he's making a point, a log. You, you ever seen a logging truck going down the road? You know the size of a log? Hey, how many of you, you got that contact lens problem, so you go to the eye doctor, and he's coming into the room, but he's got to navigate through the door, because when he comes in to get that speck out of your eye, he's got a log in his eye. Well, he uses all of that to get our attention, because we have this propensity, don't we? We have this ability to see somebody else's problems better than our own. Did you know that the average driver in Billings thinks that the average driver in Billings is a bad driver. And that the average driver in Billings who thinks that the average driver is a bad driver thinks that they're better than average. We have blind spots, don't we? Some of you have got new vehicles, the, the, the newfangled vehicles, so that when there's a car right there in your blind spot, you get a light that comes up on your, on your side mirrors or a little, a little bell or something. It tells you, hey, there's somebody in your blind spot. Do you, do you know who's in your biggest blind spot? You. The hardest person for you to see is you. 
And so Jesus here has been preaching. He's been preaching since Matthew chapter 5. We looked at the Beatitudes. We looked at salt and light. We looked at the fact that he came to fulfill the law. We looked at, at the fact that sin is a matter of the heart. We looked at the matter that righteousness is a matter of the heart. And he's preaching this sermon. And we're all listening to the sermon thinking, oh man, yeah, Johnny, Johnny needs to hear this sermon. Susie, should, she should be here to hear this sermon. This, oh, this is so good, Jesus. This is, I know somebody. This would change their life. And now he gets to the point where he says, I'm talking to you. In fact, he uses some harsh words here as he speaks to those of us who are so quick to always think that the sermon's for somebody else. He says, you hypocrite. Get that log out of your own eye. As a matter of fact, the verbiage here, uh, it's a little poetic here in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, judge not, lest you be judged. It's in the, it's in the present tense. Literally, it, it could be translated like this. Stop it. Quit it. Quit looking at others. Quit judging others. Quit critiquing others. Quit it. Stop it right now. That, that'd be a good translation of what Jesus is actually saying. And then he says to us, who have this, this crazy deflective ability to take truth and deflect it to others and not consider our own souls. He says, don't you know that the way that you act and the way that you live, don't you know that that's how life will be measured back to you? And so if you're quick to judge and quick to criticize and if you're uh, slow to forgive then those are the things that you are getting as well. Hold your place there in Matthew chapter 7. We'll come right back to it. But turn with me to Luke chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 6, we find that uh, Matthew is not the only one who records the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. We like Matthew's version best because uh, it's all together in one place, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And many of the other gospel writers separated out. But in Luke chapter 6, Luke is, uh, he's recording the words of Jesus, but he actually uh, includes more than Matthew does. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, it starts off exactly like Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, and you will not be judged. It's the same quotation as, as Matthew 7, 1. But now Luke expands this for us. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And here is, the, here is the spiritual law that I want you to see. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Um, there's a certain place in time as we grow up uh, as boys and girls in our educational process where our science lessons start to include scientific laws. Uh, let's see how well you guys listened in school. If I step off this platform right here, when I step off, will I go up or down? The law of gravity. You know, you've learned that well. You understand that. So uh, we function that way. 
And, and we, we understand it well when we have to get on the roof and clean out the eaves and we've got to take care of stuff. We've got to go up on a ladder. The law of gravity, we understand that. It's incredible. We're really quick to get scientific and physical or earthly laws, but we're really slow in understanding spiritual laws. There are spiritual laws that God has set in place, just like he set scientific and physical laws in place, and they really cannot be broken any more than the law of gravity. Because they're invisible, because they don't have immediate consequences like the law of gravity, we sometimes doubt them. But they're all there, and they're irrevocable. There is a law, a spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Or here it's referred to as however you measure, it will be measured back to you. And, and here we have four examples that Jesus gives us. He says, judge, if you judge others, you are going to be judged in return by them. And then in Luke, we discover if you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. And then if you condemn others, you'll be condemned. But the last one, the fourth one, is the, is the, is the catch-all. Give, and it'll be given to you. Now, that, that applies to everything. If you give love, you will get love. If you give hate, you'll get hate. If you give bitterness, you'll get bitterness. If you give forgiveness, you'll get forgiveness. If you give honesty, you'll get honesty. If you give dishonesty, that's how you'll be treated. It's a spiritual law in place. And it means then that no one really has the capacity to go about doing evil and get away with it. We see that, don't we? We think it in our own minds sometimes. We think, oh, that guy that did me dirty, man. And he just got away with it, Pastor. He just got away with it. No. Nobody gets away with it. Now, it doesn't mean that lightning strikes that very moment. But there's a spiritual principle, and that is, however you live, however you are measured in your interactions with others, that's what you are going to receive. And by the way, it's a great way to assess yourself. You say, well, I don't know if I'm loving or not. Well, the question is, how many people love you? If you go, well, nobody loves me, you're probably not loving. I don't have any friends. Well, then you probably are not showing yourself very friendly to others. This guy just hates me. Maybe it's because he detects it. You don't like him at all either. Do you see how this works? It's a principle, and God wants you to understand you. He wants us to be able to use the mirror of Scripture, the mirror of truth, and see the blind spots that we have in our own soul. And then when we see those, we have the ability to recognize, oh my goodness gracious, I got a log in my eye. Who knew? By the way, everybody else already knew. Because they can see you easier than they can see themselves. But here we are with the log in our own eyes. And by the way, this is, one of the, this is a tremendous challenge for us in sharing our faith. So many times we want to share our faith and our unbelieving friends can see a great big log in our eyes. And we're like, they're like, nah, I don't know. I don't know if, what you, if you really get what, who God is because we cannot 
see ourselves. Why is it that reading scripture every day is so valuable? Because that is the reflection of your own soul. That's a chance for you to read about you and see what it is that God wants to do in your life. And as I speak to you, of course, I'm saying me. This is how God works in my own life. So you and your relationship with you is the beginning. But back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is also going to talk about you and your relationship with God. We begin reading in verse 7. It's a passage we looked at when we were talking about prayer, but now we want to see our relationship with God in it. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who, who knocks, it will be opened for them. Which one of you, if his son asked for bread, you'd give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, you'd give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We live in a day and an age where people are struggling with their lives, and maybe they're struggling with their relationships, maybe they're struggling with an addiction, maybe they're struggling with the sin of their own souls, but they're struggling in their lives. And as they look through the filter of their lives, they, they many times cannot see God. God's there. God's at work. We know it from the scripture. We know that uh, he's always at work in our lives, but so many people can't see them. And, and sometimes people even say, well, how do I know there's a God? And one of the things that we see from this passage is that God is at work and the goodness in this world is a reflection of that. So many people say, well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. Uh, show me facts. Faith is just ethereal. Okay, so here's a fact. Uh, we are, the, the human race is depraved and evil. Do I have to make my case? Wars, serial killers, sexual molestation and abuse, Sex trafficking? Do I, do I need to go on? Greed and lust and vice? I, it's a pretty easy case to make. Do I need the world's evil? In fact, the world is so evil it should have imploded on itself by now. Why hasn't it? Because the goodness of God is reflected even in this evil world. And so those who are believers who should live out their lives reflecting the goodness and the righteousness of God. They're at work in this world, back in, remember, back in chapter 5, like salt and light at work in the world. And that work in the world, that, that goodness in the world is a reflection of the fact that there is a God. And what do we know about this God? Well, the second thing we know about this God is that he's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. It's not his will that any should perish. Here, I read this verse out of Matthew 7. Maybe you went over it quickly. It's verse 8. It says, for most people who ask, receive. Is that what your Bible says? Look at verse 8. For most people who ask, receive. For some people who ask, receive. It says, everyone who asks, receive. Did you know that the Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus makes no differentiation between us, not by skin color or ethnicity or, or race or, or language or nationality. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. And so this is our loving, caring, heavenly Father. He's looking for you. His arm is extended to you. He's demonstrated his love in Jesus Christ. Here, let's go back to that first analogy. I believe that the depravity of man, the evil of man, is the second greatest power in the world today. That's how, that's how powerful evil is. And the greatest power of the world today is the love of God. And the love of God is the only thing that can supersede and change the sinful soul. And the love of God is demonstrated in the mercy of God and the grace of God. Demonstrated in his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to die for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the God who loves you. This is, the, this is the one who leaves the 90 and 9 that he would find you. This is the one who knows how many hairs are on your head. This is the one who calls you by name. This is the one who says, if you will turn to me, if you will come and look for me, you will always find me because he's looking for you. And so the second thing I want you to see here is you and your relationship with God. You are not so far from God that he won't save you today. In fact, his word says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. He wants you to come to him today. Maybe the reason you came with a friend this morning, or maybe just the, the stirring of the Holy Spirit, and you, maybe you didn't even recognize it, but you got up on a cold, rainy day. You woke up early because you had an extra hour of sleep. Thought, what am I going to do with my extra hour? You came to church. You didn't have anything in mind other than, no, nah, I'll go. And here the Holy Spirit, in a divine appointment, has met you once again to tell you that there's a loving Heavenly Father. There's a Savior of your soul, Jesus. There's a Deliverer for you, and He wants to do that. Let's, let's put these two together, shall we? You and your relationship to yourself. You and your relationship to God. How does that work? Well, let me just use me. I've lived with me all of my life. I know me really well. Let me tell you some things that I know about me. Whenever I take charge of my life, I screw it up. I mess it up. Whenever I'm in the driver's seat of my life, I end up driving to someplace I shouldn't go. I cannot overcome my sin. I have tried by just gritting my teeth and clenching my fist and doing it in my own power, and I don't have enough power. And I, in relationship to me, came to an understanding about me, myself, and I. I need a deliverer. I need a savior. I need a forgiver. I need someone who's waiting for me. And Jesus Christ is that savior. And when I turned to him and I asked him for the forgiveness of sins, because everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. He saved my soul. And he can do the very same thing for you. He's done it for millions of people all through the years. You might say, oh, my sin's too much. More than murderers whom he saved? M- m- more, more than sexual molesters who he saved? He's changed souls of people all around you. That's the work of our loving, caring, heavenly Father through his son, Jesus. Well, there's a third application. First is you seeing your own self. You and your relationship to you. Secondly, you and your relationship to God. But third, you and your relationship to others. And here in this passage, Jesus talks about two different 
kinds of responses that we have, and they are separated by you and your relationship with God. And I think that's symbolic because if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, your relationship with others can never be what it's supposed to be. You have to have the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit of God in you before you can love people in a way that you were not capable of before. To love your neighbor as yourself, you weren't even capable of loving yourself, much less your neighbor. God does that work. But when he does that work in our lives, he shows us then how we are to relate to others. The first one might surprise you. Look in verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Um, have you ever been attacked by a pig? I have. Uh, when I was a boy, I went to my grandfather's house uh, in Iowa, and he was raising some pigs. Uh, when I was a boy growing up, I thought all Iowans raised pigs. I thought that's what you did in Iowa. And uh, uh, he told me to be careful out there because uh, a sow had some new baby piglets. Well, that, that was like reverse psychology to tell me that there were new baby piglets out there. To be, I, I had to go see them, right? And so I, I climbed through the, there's a big wood fence. I climbed through it. I wasn't very big. And I got out there and I got close enough to a little piglet that I wanted to pick him up. And he squealed and got the attention of his mama big fat pig sow. And she came for me, and she scared the hoobies out of me. That's a Greek word meaning hoobies. <laughs> and I ran for the fence as fast as my little lace could carry me, and I didn't even, like, uh, take time to climb the fence. I dived through the slats in the fence, and she hit that wood fence right behind me. And ever since that day, I love eating Bacon. Well, uh, this analogy that Jesus has here, um, it's going to sound harsh to your ears, but he's talking about people. And he's using dogs and pigs. Now, this is what he means by that. Uh, you have to understand this. In, the, in ancient times, uh, nobody, nobody in the time of Jesus in the first century of Jerusalem, nobody had a pink purse with a chihuahua in it and went to the store that way. There were no little poodles, and there were no dogs that were house pets at all. Dogs were, they were feral dogs. They were mongrels. They, they run in a pack. We would think of them like, like coyotes. They, they just lived at the city dump. Um, they were diseased, mangy. Um, that's, that's what he's talking about with dogs. So a pig was the symbolic of the most unclean thing in the Mosaic law. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the wild and the unclean. Are you following me here? And this is what he says. He says, uh, when it comes to the wild and the unclean, don't, don't throw what is holy. Don't throw your pearls there. Now, here's the easy wrong conclusion that you could jump to. Oh, so I don't have to be kind to them. No, down in verse 12, we're going to get the second half of this, of how we relate to people. And in verse 12, it says, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. We, we call this the golden rule. It's like love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So people who are the enemies of God, this is what Jesus is describing. 
when he says the wild and the unclean, he's describing people who are truly, by their own actions and their own philosophy, avowed enemies of God. Uh, and, and the Apostle Paul writes about them. He says, uh, he says the enemies of God, uh, they, they glory in their own selves, and their God is their stomach. So what is Jesus telling us? This is what he's saying. Those that are enemies of God, they don't, they don't really need to know your politics. They don't need to know your morality. They don't need to know your lifestyle. Do you, do you know what they need? A change of nature. Peter was no doubt there that day when Jesus preached this sermon. Because he records the exact kind of imagery in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He says, they're like a dog that returns to his vomit and a pig that returns to the mud to wallow. Exact same imagery. It, you can give them what's holy. You can give them what's good. And what are they going to do? They're going to go back to what they do by their nature. What is it that the pig needs? He needs a new nature. And the Apostle Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's been given a new nature. This is what Jesus Christ did for you in the moment that you were saved. He took your sinful nature and he eradicated it. He nailed it to the cross. It's yours no longer. He gave you a new nature. And by the way, what is the nature of your new nature? He gave to you a spirit. What kind of spirit? He gave you the Holy Spirit. So Peter, in that same book, says, Be ye holy, even as God is holy. Paul describes this transformation in his own life. He says, My nature was changed, so the things that I used to love to do, I don't love to do anymore. And the things that I used to never love to do, oh, that's what I love to do. He's describing a change in nature. And those of us who have received it, those of us who have received forgiveness, those of us who have received the Holy Spirit, we look back at our old lives. Oh my goodness. It looks like vomit and mud, doesn't it? And we praise Jesus because there go I except for the grace of God. So what is it that people need who don't know Christ, who are living as enemies of Christ? They need the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They, they don't need your philosophy of economics or immigration. They need Jesus. And then for all people everywhere, whether they're believers or not, verse 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, be reminded that with the measure that you measure, that's how it'll be measured Back to you. It's a pretty incredible sermon, isn't it? What would be the greatest sin in hearing this sermon? The greatest sin would be walking out saying, I sure wish old so-and-so was here to hear that today. God speaks this to you. He speaks it to me. And he asks that we apply it to our lives. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I don't know how it is that you came about to be here this morning, but let me tell you what I believe with all my heart. 
I believe that it's a divine appointment. I may not know anything that transpired in your life this week. You didn't know what God had put on my heart to share from his word. And yet here they collide. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, the God who loves you is speaking to you this morning. Maybe he spoke to you about you and your own life, about seeing yourself in your blind spots. Maybe God wants you to stop something. Maybe he wants you to start something. And he wants you to see your own life the way everybody else around you sees it. Maybe that's what God said to you this morning. Maybe God's speaking to you about your relationship with God. Maybe today is the day that you give your life to the Lord. You realize that God the Father is a loving, caring, righteous, holy God who loves you so much he sent his one and only Son that whoever receives him might have everlasting life. Whoever, that can be you today. You can ask him for the forgiveness of sins. Maybe today is the day that you start to measure out to others differently. Instead of hatred and bitterness, instead of uncertainty and fear and guilt, maybe today's the day that you start to love. You start to forgive. You start to care about others. <coughs> so this morning, we've just really read the Sermon of Jesus. And we believe that the Holy Spirit of Jesus takes those words and they never return void. So how many of you this morning, just you would just signify by the uplifted hand, I know that the Lord has spoken to me and pray for me, Paul, because I don't want to be one who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what I look like. And you just raise your hand and say, pray for me. I've heard something in that sermon for me this morning. God has spoken to me all over the room. Thank you. God bless you. Father, you've seen our hands. More importantly, you know our hearts. You know everything about us. We thank you that this sermon preached 2,000 years ago is perfect for us today in November of 2018. And we thank you that you're a caring and loving Heavenly Father who calls each of us by name and longs that each one of us would turn to you. And I pray that today, across this room, that people would turn their hearts and lives to you. Father, for the one who's never given their life to you today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. For many, a day of recommitment and a day where we start to focus on ourselves instead of judging all of those around us. Father, if you'll do that work in our lives and someone even notices anything change in our lives, we promise not to take credit for that, but to give you the glory and the praise and the honor. For we pray it in your most holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.